You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Can you hear that? That is the Edinburgh Festival. Rain beating against a window and a faintly audible car alarm. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast uh, recording live. What well, sort of, I mean, in that it's always recorded live because I'm alive when I'm recording it, um, but not currently before an audience. I'm in my flat at the Edinburgh Fringe and uh, apologies to those of you who are not at Edinburgh or coming to Edinburgh. There will be a small amount of uh, Edinburgh recommendations and suggestions in the central section of, uh, of when I talk to you next. Um, but for now, let's get stuck into an episode recorded live at the Latitude festival earlier this year um i say early this year it was almost early this month it was only a few weeks ago but so much has happened since then and uh, thanks i hope you enjoyed all of those montreal episodes as much as uh, i enjoyed recording them um so this is from latitude this is charlie baker and i'm rushing this one and the next one which will be justin morehouse i'm rushing these out now so that if you are in edinburgh or have plans to come here you can whiz along and see their shows because they're both excellent and uh Let's hear Charlie talking about it now. This is quite an unusual one because we've done live episodes before, but everyone has been sat on chairs as opposed to sprawled on the floor at 11 o'clock at night at a festival that just had a huge firework display outside. So uh, we have a bit of a laugh with this, and I think I drank cider throughout it, which is very unusual for me. I hope you enjoy it. This is the fantastic Charlie Baker. It's the fabulous Mr. Charlie Baker. Thank you very much. So, what we should do, for those people who haven't seen you just participate in the humble quest for universal genius, or indeed run a cattle auction, and sort of for these people as well, um, you could just explain in your words who you are and what sort of position you occupy in the comedy firmament. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, Jack Black, well done. Thank you, mate. That was four minutes and 42. Two minutes in. (laughs) Normally takes longer. Unless he's here. Is he here? Someone's just seen him like the fireworks earlier, um, I you can edit that out. Um, <laughs> now I'll leave it in for the benefit uh, of the Yes, listener. lovely. Good. Uh, where am I? I would say um, I, uh, I am a club comic who closes big clubs. Yep. That, that is the level I am at. And uh, has in the past done occasional bits of television, um, probably mainly from winning a dancing competition. Um, that two people were. Two people have seen. And that was, I that was, let's, was it Let's Dance? It was Let's Dance for Comic Relief. Yeah. Um, and 
That's probably how I got on most of my telly, rather than through stand-up, I will add that. OK. Um, we'll come back to whether or not yes. that burns in a minute. No, 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 that's fine. And uh, uh, I would say I am happy in where I am at the moment. Not that I wouldn't enjoy world domination, but I like my job. Yes. I love my job. You do I love, love stand-up, and I'm in love with stand-up. And you're known as someone... I mean, we talked about this earlier on backstage, but you are known as kind of being uh, the, the all-singing, all-dancing, universal showman of stand You're absolutely a showman type. Like, some people mm-hmm. get into comedy because uh, they used to be street performers, for example, or some people used to work in banks, or people used to do all sorts of things. But you you seem to me to have been born a fully-formed, like, tap-dancing-out-the-womb kind of kid. Yes, one of those really popular ones at school, you know. Um, no, uh, no, that's, I, try and, I try and do a show. I very much see it as show business. And even in my 20-minute set, I will try and put a little bit of everything I can do, which I've learned through my life, whether through choice or through uh, just having a possibly pushy mother... Um, so I've tried to... I, I try and put that all into my, and, into my set. And you're so... I mean, we started about roughly the same time, about 11, yes. 11-ish years ago. And I always remember seeing you absolutely smash it in clubs and thinking, oh, that bastard, I wish I could sing. Mm. Because you have got an incredible singing voice. Yeah, I sing, yeah. Would you like to briefly prove that for um, us now? Because it's just so lovely to listen to. This is going to be embarrassing, isn't it? If it's, uh, uh, do we uh, know the song? So in my, I'm doing, the show I'm doing at the moment is One Hit Wonders, and people always think that a One Hit Wonder is things like uh, the worst song they can possibly think of, like um, Cotton Eye Joe, for instance. You know Cotton Eye Joe. Um, if it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe... I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton-eyed Joe. So... The singing, this, I, I have always walked around singing. Always walked around singing and always walked around telling jokes. And so when I got into stand-up, I thought, well, I can't... Because I, I used to tour with a big band and do bits of singing and have my own wedding band and that sort of stuff. And so I, for the first two or three years of doing stand-up, I didn't do any singing at all. OK. What, why, why is that? In the same uh, way... Because I think when you get into it, because you don't know what you're doing for ages, you don't know that... the. I think the key is just to be yourself and work out to be your, a way to be yourself on stage, but heightened. Um, but I, I never sang because it, it, it gets, you get thrown at that it's cheating, you know, that it's cheating. This is Which, a, because it does create an applause point. Yes. That's what it does. This, it is, a, this is a commonly held point. thing about, like, guitar acts. People mm. often in comedy refer to guitar, like, guitar-based comedians, they refer to the guitar as mm. the cheating stick. Yeah, because I get, I get you're, you're a guitar act without a guitar, which is sort of you've worse. Got a, you've got a cheating throat. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think I found a way of making it relevant. And also, my thing of wanting to do a show is... is so, I like, I like I, I got into comedy by listening to lots of people from the past who would have to turn up, do a complete show in their ten minutes. What sort of people are you Like about? Max Miller. People okay. like that. So, people weren't... I, don't, I mean, I've heard of Max Miller. Yeah. But I have to say, I'm not very au fait with his so act. Max so, Max Miller would come on, do a song... Then he'd do five jokes that he'd written himself. So he's a pretty much original, an original of the uh, originators of, of 
taking that forward and um, and writing his own stuff and and having his own viewpoint. Because that's quite an unusual thing. I suppose in the kind of music hall, I associate music hall comedy with people sharing the same joke books and nicking material off each other and mm. sort of shtick yeah. rather than kind of creative writing their own one-liners. And I suppose whenever I, when I imagine that kind of era, it's in the same way as you might imagine a magician buys a trick and they buy the patter that comes with it. And it's actually the sort of the very top of the, the mm. level of performing magicians who write their own gear and create their own tricks. Yeah. So I suppose, I, I mean, is that what you're saying? That a well, lot someone, of, a lot someone, of someone, contemporaries would have been just doing standard stuff. Yes, and, but someone will have had to write that originally anyway, yes. wouldn't they? And then it was all nicked, isn't it? So, so Max Miller would create these routines, create these songs, and, of course, I mean, and, and I think he was one of the first to, like, record it and release it as well. Okay. So, uh, so the, I, and I, how did I, you discover that? How did so that's through my granddad. So my granddad would always sing. My granddad sang, like, um, Bing Crosby and would always sit and tell jokes... I would always say funny stuff, and and so I got into comedy through him. But then, um, then at about the age of sixteen, I used to go to the comedy store and watch comics okay. uh, a lot as well. Which, when you were sixteen, who were mm. your highlights? Who do you remember from the store? Oh, it's, it's a lot of the people who are on now, and I've worked with. So it's um, like Andy Parsons was sort of closing the store. He was in a double act, I think, at them. Parsons, Parsons and, and Naylor, Naylor. Yeah. yeah, and he used to do a thing about looking like um, Mel Smith. Remember that. Um, and uh, who else? So it was people like Jack D. You know, it was, it was people who are big and famous and massive acts now. Okay. So actually, when you get to meet these people now and work with them, it's a pretty big thrill. When you were going to the store, were you imagining you already like? Were you kind of like a? Were you doing school plays and stuff? Were you already performing? Oh, I've been. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I am that annoying child. I have been doing a uh, some bits of show business since I was about five. So I, I, okay. I, I learned tap dancing at the age of five. Till I was Is that fi- because your parents were going, you should do it? Or um, because no, you I were think going, I, I want to dance? I think I, I think I have had... I will show you some tap dancing in a minute. It's a fucking podcast, yeah. you <laughs> muppet. It's going to be great in trainers on carpet. Um, <laughs> Stealth tap dancing. <laughs> um, so, look, I always wanted to do that, always wanted to be in show business, and, uh, and that came from asking to do tap dancing at five and okay. always wanting to do it. But comedy came uh, about 16 of but then I didn't actually do it till I was about 23 24 just before we move further into the comedy thing I want to just get inside the mind of a five-year-old that requests to do tap mm. dancing yeah because I, I never did I wasn't that I, no. I did kind of I did kind of drama stuff at school from the age of about 12 as an escape because I hated school yeah but presumably as a five-year-old it wasn't you weren't running away from anything was it just that you liked the attention or was it the, I've, what, I've, what is it I've, what's I've, that no, feeling I've no idea probably Probably like the attention, but I, I've, I, I've genuinely no idea. Although I've got a son now, and he's got so much energy that I do have to make him do stuff and like t- take him and take him places to wear him out. And I think my mum was trying to just wear me out. And okay. just, <laughs> and Saturday just, morning t- tap. Yeah, so I was doing bearable. like I was dancing and doing drama like four or five nights a okay. week. And am I right in thinking? I think you mentioned this in a show of yours that I saw. I might be mm. wrong, but am I right in thinking you had a very happy, well-adjusted, well-balanced home life? Terrible, awful for comedy, you know. Yeah, really, really adjusted and and uh, very uh, um, very happy family life. And you've got a really happy and marriage. now and now I've got yeah. You've been married for twelve years to your best yeah. friend, as you yeah, say yeah. in the show. Yeah, that's so. Yeah. What is there normally is something wrong in the life of a comedian yeah. that they want to get out and go. It's more important to me than to win over this room full of strangers two hundred miles away from my house yeah. than it is to be at home with my loved ones. Yeah. So what is it? Why? Are, what is it that, you, that, that attracts you, that draws you to it? 
draws me to comedy or draws me to, to, to performing. performing. Yeah. I just like it. I just have always liked it. It's always just completed me. And after I've been on, I'm not one to go out and um, see loads of people afterwards or see like loads of hang around with the audience or anything like that. It, the bit on stage sort of completes me enough to... to so be that. So I've loved. I've done musicals. You know, I've done all sorts of stuff. But the thing about comedy is, it's so hard that you, it, comedy is the thing that has finally made me tired by doing it because it's mentally, physically difficult. So it's finally the thing that has made me stop and feel happy. So were you unhappy without it? I think I was, yeah. I think I was. I, I went to drama school and I was an actor for eight years. Which drama school did you go to? I went to Lambda. Okay. And uh, I was an actor for eight years. And you would have been, uh, you would, I believe the term is a triple threat as an actor. You yeah. could sing, you could dance, you can act. I would say, is there, is there anything I can do? Um, but, uh, so I'd go and do all these things, but I just wasn't happy. And I was going, why isn't this, this is all I've ever wanted to do? Why, why, is that, why am I not happy? Why am I eating too much? Why am I drinking too much? Why am I ruining the shows I'm in? Why am I not learning my lines? What, that sort of stuff. what kind of actor were you? From my limited experience not a very good one. as an actor, but the sort of personality types that you see, mm. were you the big personality type actor in the it was, room? It, Probably, yeah. Awful, terrible person. I was, I was, I was too much. Too much, you know. Um, and were you to, aware of that at the time? Would you be like no, a, a no. crashing bore and then go away thinking, I'm really, oh, God, I'm, I'm really, it? I'm really pleased I didn't start stand-up until I was a bit older, until I, until I was married and older. Because I think, I don't think I'd have lasted five minutes if I'd started when I was 18. Like, look, I see lots of people start when they're 18 now, and I'm so impressed because they're so rounded and so good. I think if I'd started when I was 18, I think I'd have been out there in five minutes. I don't, and I don't and would I'd you have had anything to say at the age of 18? No, I think that's a criticism often levelled at younger acts. Nothing. Often by bitter older acts who are jealous of their success. They go, oh, mm. you haven't lived, you haven't got any life experience, mm. you've got nothing to talk about. But that's all right, but that's allowed as well with younger acts. I, like, I, love, I love working with um, younger acts, and I don't, I don't understand that jealousy because I sort of think it's show business, and younger people have always come into show business and moved it on, and... Better-looking people have always got the, the sort of better jobs or the, or the foot up. So you don't subscribe or... to the whole kind of the frustration at kind of skinny jeans? No, I, I, I hate it because it's show business and that's just what people want. So if, if you're talking about people getting on telly, then that's what telly wants at the moment. You know, I always think of like uh, Hound Dog was released originally by Mama Thornton. Uh, uh, I don't know who Okay, Mama Thornton released Hound Dog originally in about 1954. I still don't sort know of, who Mama And that big, big black singer, woman, okay. um, released Hound Dog, sort of bluesy singer. It sold about a million copies in, in... And then, of course, two years later, Elvis releases it, and it goes massive. And you go, yes, that's because Elvis has now released it, and... And Elvis is what people want. And, and what you're saying is there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the nature of That's the That's just show industry. business. So I don't yeah. understand people getting into show business and going, oh, the game's bent. The game's bent. It's not bent. It's, it's just how it is. Just so, how it is and how it always will be. So when you brought yourself to stand-up for the first time, you're watching yeah. acts in the Comedy Store age 16 yeah. and you're thinking about it. Were you ever writing stuff? Were you ever thinking no, you might do it? I don't think I was thinking about doing it ever I don't, until, until I got into my 20s and, like, and, had, and had a moment of, I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I... I'm not happy being an actor, so what 
I thought I, I thought this is what my dream come true was to do this. Okay. So why so what, is this bit of performance not completing me? And then I suppose the first time I'd had any sort of doubt in my mind about what I was doing in my life made me properly think about what I wanted to do for a living. Now you strike me as someone who probably for their very first gig, you're one of those people who went on full of nervous energy natural rapport with the audience because you've been a singer in a band mm. and your first one was an absolute smasher. Uh, no, oh, no, no, no. Um, I, um, I, I, I didn't have... I had, like, two jokes. You think that's going to be enough for five minutes. Do you remember, what, do you remember yeah. your opening? Oh, oh no, I, 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 the joke that got a laugh um, stayed in my set for a while, actually, which was... Because um, uh, also, a lot of my... About first five or six years of my stuff was all show-off based so look what I can do look what I can do look what I can do which you sort of try and get out of you but this was a joke about jazz which you know obviously really relevant which was uh, I, hate, I love jazz I just it's, uh, I hate it when but I hate it when they go um, on the saxophone Johnny Jones and we all give them a round of applause and then the next song we all go they go on the saxophone Johnny Jones and we all give them another round of applause you know they're only at work they're only at work why are we giving them a round of applause no one goes <laughs> Hello, Johnson and Johnson. Mr. Johnson, I'll just put you through. On reception, Sarah Todd. That was, <laughs> that, that was the only joke in my first five minutes that got a laugh. Okay. And the rest was death and like, oh, I've made a massive mistake. Um, but of course, you, some people go on and literally don't really know how to hold a microphone or stand the right way. So you're, if you've got any sort of drama background, you are, let's say, a year ahead just stagecraft-wise. And do you think, do you th- because we were talking about the, sort of the nature of being a showman, do you think that you're also, in some respects, a year or a couple of years behind? Because oh. actually you've got more to get over once you realise that stand-up isn't about going yatta-ta-ta, here's I, the I, 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 Well, I, I think that's a good case in point with me especially, as I was probably five years behind because I had to get out, get over myself... <laughs> First, I've gone, but I can do this. I'll be able to do this. I'll be able to do this, which is always in my head, really. So I can do this. I'll have a go at this. I'm going to do this. And enthusiasm will get me through, you know. So I probably had to get out of my own way initially to start beginning to write anywhere near decent stuff. Um, and so to have stagecraft but no stuff is... There's a, I, I, it makes, uh, have you read Andre Agassi's book? No, I have he not. He talks about a thing which is um, you've got to build your legs up for tennis because... Uh, uh, you control strong legs, but weak legs control you. Okay. And that's how I see material. Oh, I like so, it. So, well, strong material. You control, you control strong material. Weak but weak material, material controls, controls you. Controls that's you. exactly right, yeah. yeah. So, um, although I have a lot of sport analogies. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, uh, Throw so, them whenever you like. What, so, what? I think, um, I think uh, it took me five years to get out of my own way and go, you don't know what you're doing, and... Tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. Do you remember a, a sh- do you remember a particular gig where you made that discovery, or was it a um, series uh, of gigs? Uh, or- early on, early on, I had a really good gig. About ten gigs in, I had a really good gig where someone else hadn't classic. Someone else hadn't turned up. Right, you're on. You're doing twenty, and I said, I've done ten gigs. You're on. We've got no one else. Bang, and like probably five minutes of it went really well, um, and then the rest was. Uh, probably fine, you know. <laughs> I'd probably chatted to someone in the audience and made them laugh. Yeah. And, and you know, um, and that made me think I might be able to do this for a living. And then, of course, you, 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 the, goal, the goalposts change of where you want to get to, you know, always. 
the, the goal originally is, I wonder if I could make a living at this, you know? Yes. So what did the next goal become once you could make a living? Because I remember struggling with that moment yeah. when I was about four or five years in. Well, that took me ages. And like you, I'd come from a performative background of mm. other sorts, naturally, you know, had a decent, you know, a workable yeah. amount of charisma, knew a bit about stagecraft, felt like I... You know, asked to compare a lot. I think yeah. you and me, yeah. we didn't mm-hmm. gig together much often because we were both we were both the MC at various mm. nights. Um, so, what was the next goal? I really struggled with thinking. Right, I'm full time now. What do I do? Mm. And I remember Dan Atkinson saying to me, "Now you've got to cope with it." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've just got to get your head around the fact that you're doing the job now, and you've got to come up with the next goal because stand up can trick you. I think into thinking that it's a linear process that now the next thing happens because in the first few years it is like that mm. well yeah i think that's what i mean i think when you start out it does happen quickly and you think oh god i can do this you're so surprised you can do it that i think oh god i'm on this bit i'm on this bit oh my god this is good um i moved out of london and decided to take little to no gigs in london to go and learn how to do it on the road was that a deliberate a deliberate pl- yeah that's very shrewd yeah. So yeah. that you can... It's something people often say on this podcast that making your mistakes somewhere other than the city you're going to end up in is a really good idea because it's very mm. hard to get over people's first impressions of you. Which was good. And so but because of that, I didn't really know what anyone else was doing and, or who the movers and sort of shakers were. So, but when I went and did, say, an audition to do Big Value... Um, the, uh, so Daryl Martin Darryl and Martin's, Tonic runs which is a, a good Edinburgh show in Edinburgh show. to do, a really good package yeah. show to do in Edinburgh. Because I've been doing all these arse end of nowhere gigs and having to make gigs work, to go and suddenly compare in a nice club was felt pretty good. And yep. I felt like I know what I'm doing here. And so then, and that's how I got into big value. And then that sort of... As a compare. Yeah, and value. then that started the process of, of becoming a professional comic. So did you have to, again, like we were saying, the post-acting thing, you've got to unlearn the acting skills. Do you have to unlearn the comparing skills? Because the job of a host or a comparer, an MC or whatever you want to call it, is this a really interesting job to me. I know we've both done loads of it. And it was that, so we were saying backstage about the idea of being, oh, either of, it was like something about a compare not being here and yeah. we might need to fill in. And both of you were like, well, we're the, some of the safest pairs of hands on site. <laughs> it's, and that's, uh, we said damning with faint praise. It's damning with faint praise, isn't it? Safe pair of compare hands. Yeah, no one wants to be a safe pair of hands. Some people do. <laughs> yeah. Some people think, well, this is lovely. I, I like it. I'm in demand. You can always gig. Mm. When you're a compare, you'll always gig. You can go back to the same club eight times a year rather than yeah. twice a year. Do you, did you need to get out of doing that? Do you still compare? Did you need to make any kind of similarly shrewd decisions about moving away from that? Or is it still something you enjoy doing? Um, I, I still like comparing. Um, I, I, like, I like comparing because you get to try new stuff, which I've learned. I'm just going to pause recently. you there. I put some cider at the side of the oh. thing for you. Do tuck in. I keep drinking mine. Oh, I'm all right. I'm, I'm not drinking because I'm writing for Edinburgh. So. We'll get on to that. So, anyway. <laughs> and I want it to be clear. Um, I compared a lot. Compared a lot. And I think comparing is brilliant when you're newer um, because you can try stuff out without it being the, under a spotlight of try stuff out, try stuff out, what's this, who's this? But, and it being, so I think comparing is really good, especially if you're a young, newer comic. Um, comparing as you go on, I don't know why it's seen as a, a lesser job because it's the, it does sort of... Actually, yeah. why, why like, that's one thing about the comedy store is it takes ages before they let you compare. Yeah. at the comedy store because you, you've got to be a safe pair of hands to safe pair of hands um, to, for them to trust you with it because 
Because um, I think within the world of comedy, comparing is respected mostly, mm-hmm. but in the world of the audience, the classic thing is an audience member coming up to you afterwards and saying, hey, you're really great, you should try stand-up comedy. Yeah, I think Dave John said, um, someone said once, the interval guy was good. Um, which is good, isn't it, <laughs> as a compare? So just to yeah. stay with comparing for a moment, because it is a, a certain set of skills, what were your principles for comparing? What would you do if you had to turn someone now who'd never gigged before, if you had to go, like, in a kind of, what was it called, when that skill swap programme? Oh, yes. Uh, or was, wife uh, swap? No. Um, no, wife swap, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that was about wife uh, swapping, Stuart. Faking it, thank faking you. Faking it. If you had to turn someone into an amazing comedy mm. compare, what would be the... The three most important principles. Um, look like you're enjoying yourself, I think, is key as a compare. And listen to the audience. OK. Listen, if you ask a question, listen to the answer. There's nothing more off-putting than a compare asking a question which is clearly to tee themselves up for material yeah. and then ignoring them. Yeah. Listen to the answer. It's quite a good life skill, isn't it? Ask a question and listen to the answer. Um, uh, and... You don't... I think you have to do a bit of material, don't you? But um, I don't think everyone can do it, is the thing. I, I genuinely think it's probably the most underrated bit of... of I, I, although I will say, I don't think all clubs need a compare. No? I don't think they do, no. I think you could put... I, th- I, often think, I can only think of one. I often I think, think you could... I, I, I don't think you need that. I think you could... I think most people know how to compare themselves on. And, and get on with it. And I you think probably that, out of most bills, you could go, if you put that yeah. guy on first, he'll be fine. I, I, I think everyone, I think once you get to a certain level, I think most people could compare okay. themselves in and get on with it. So this is Charlie. What a fantastic guy. He's so friendly. He's so, and he says he's an all-round entertainer. He really kind of, um, he just completely throws himself at it. And it's so, I'm, I'm so grateful to him for being really honest and reflecting and being open to reflection on um, some of his, what he perceives to be his flaws. I, I think um, uh, we'll talk a little bit later on in, in the episode about uh, he, what he feels was his over-reliance on, uh, on an, an existing set um, and whether or not that might have held him back once he had that kind of unbreakable 20 that would work anywhere. Maybe he, you know, stepped too hard on the gas with that. He's also very open about sort of mistakes that he's made in the past as well uh, and attributed uh, those to fear, which I think is very hard to admit. I think... Someone like me loves to point out how scared I am of everything to do with comedy and life. Um, but I think it can be very difficult sometimes to to open yourself, as you know, particularly, I mean, with this show now, it, not just you, the listener, listens to this, but, you know, there's a good chance you're not a comedian. A lot of comedians listen to this show now, and I think when people come on the show, sometimes they're concerned that they'll be showing vulnerability, not just to the world at large and strangers and so forth, but also to their peers, because uh, this is... I suppose that you could call this show peer-reviewed. So many thanks to Charlie for coming on the show and uh, being as honest and as warm and generous a person as he is. We, uh, we had a lot of fun recording this, and uh, I urge you to go and see his show here at the Edinburgh Fringe. Now, this is where the, the apologies come in, because if you aren't here, you can probably ignore, or you're not coming here, you can probably ignore the next... I'll try and keep it to three or four minutes max. What I'd like to do is recommend some shows. Now, uh, I think... 
the best way to do this, I'll go into more detail on the Comedians Comedian Facebook page. So do join that. You can follow the link from ComediansComedian.com, our shiny new website, where, remember, you can now comment on each individual episode. We've got comment sections underneath the individual pages for the episode, and there's plenty more there as well. I've also just today organised some merch, so that will be coming quite soon. Uh, don't click on that button just yet. It will lead you nowhere. But check out ComediansComedian.com and follow the link to the Facebook Comedians Comedian group. We've got something like 23, 2400 people on there now. And I find that a really useful tool for testing out ideas on you. And I make sure I chuck little interesting freebies and conversation starters. And people often, not often, but people occasionally spam it with tangentially related products uh, and projects. And you can, uh, you can read everyone's reactions to them. That's fun too. Um, so I will go into more detail on, uh, on the Facebook group. I'll try and at least post one recommendation a day from something I've actually seen that day. Um, but what I thought I'd do is I would give you a sense of how insane I'm going to go over the next month, uh, as well as all the great stuff I'm going to see, by literally telling you just the names of everyone that I'm going to see. Um, this is, someone can count this for me. It's got to be, it's got to be 60 shows. Here we go. I'll try and do a very quick uh, sentence or a clause, maybe, uh, on each of them. These are the ones I've seen so far. Tanya Edwards at the Pleasance Courtyard. Fantastic. Tanya's coming on the show soon, and uh, she is a... I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to sew up everyone in a, in a convenient sentence. She's got jokes. She's kind of got a wonderful, delightfully snarky kind of uh, approach, but proper, proper punchlines. Great. I saw Will Durst. More about him later. He's coming on the show on the live shows at Edinburgh, which will be underneath Black Medicine for the last fortnight of the festival. The last two weeks, uh, every night at 10:55 p.m. Do come along to those. They're completely free. Will Durst has been a comic for probably getting on for 40 years. It's fascinating to hear someone who knows comedy inside and out doing. Okay, I can't get through 60 shows in this kind of uh, depth, but he apparently famously influenced Bill Hicks. He's been around for that long, and he's doing observational comedy about what it's like growing into your 60s. And it's incredibly engaging and incredibly warm and very, very funny. So go and see that. He's at the Gilded Balloon. I just saw the brilliant Amy Halverska. I've got it full disclosure. I directed her show. It's the first show I've directed. I mean, I said I directed. I just tried to sort of nudge her to try and be herself and try and do what she wanted to do. You can help me decide. You can decide for yourselves uh, whether or not it worked. I've already decided. It bloody worked. She's put in an incredible amount of work and effort. And there's loads of superb comedy in there, loads of great characterization, And she's got one of the most arrestingly weird life stories that she's talking about in the show about how she was uh, basically raised by the SAS. I'll let her do it in her own words. Um, go and see her. She's at the turret at the Gilded Balloon every day at 6.45. Right, those are all the ones I've seen now. So now it's literally going to be a list of names. Tomorrow, John Lloyd coming on the show this week. David Elms, brilliant. Mark Steele coming on the show later. Uh, I'm going to try to see Luke McQueen if I can fit him in. Everyone tells me to get Luke on the show and I will do that as soon as I can get to see him. Matt Ewins, well, he's just my absolute favourite. Steve Hall, brilliant. Jason Byrne, he's coming on the show later in the month. Uh, Kevin Jay, can't wait to see him. I've heard a lot about Kevin Jay, apparently a, a white act who's come up through the black circuit. That'd be absolutely fascinating. Kevin Day, he's been doing comedy for donkey's years, absolutely behind loads. He's a programme associate slash secretly a writer on loads of your favourite comedy programmes. Um, he's coming on the show before too long as well. I'm going to see Joel Domit at the Counting House, another live show with him coming up later this month. Uh, Mick Ferry, if I've got time, I'll try and 
to see Mick. He's fantastic. Lost voice guy. Uh, I'm going to see uh, Jimmy McGee. Absolutely brilliant, Jimmy McGee. Ashling B coming on the show soon. The Noise Next Door. I'm going to be in that one. And that's nice. Actually, do some, do some shows as well as seeing them. Um, right. From now on, it's just words. If you recognise the words, go and see the shows because I'm going to try and see them. And these are the people who out of the 3,000 shows here, I'm making the most effort to see. But Kapinski, weird clown. Alan Cochran, absolutely brilliant. Reg Hunter, fascinating, very funny. Um, what's the next one is, oh, my show throughout all of these. I'll tell you more about that in a second. Ronnie Cheng coming on the show. Um, uh, the Herbert, Spencer Jones, I want to say Jones. Or do I mean Spencer Brown? I think it's Spencer Jones. Interesting, uh, funny clown I've heard. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Stuart Black, brilliant. Phil Nichols, Cray Cray Cabaret. Abigailia Shaman is doing a kids show as well as her grown-up show. I'm going to be on the kids show briefly. Uh, Aidan Killian, don't know anything about him. Why have I written him down? Oh, yes, I remember. I, I enjoyed his blurb and I thought that's for me. Uh, I'm doing a show called Love Bites. Stuart Francis, brilliant pun master. He's coming on the show later. Uh, Liam Williams. I'm going to try and see Fern Brady. I'm going to try and see Jos Norris and Ben Tarjay. They're all very close to each other, but I'm going to try and do it for you and for me. Um, I'm going to catch the end of Adam Hess. He's at the Hive. It's going to be great. Uh, Dane Baptiste, Daniel Sloss is coming on the show this month. Georgie Carroll, uh, Funs and Games 2s. I'm going to see that more than once. Uh, Massive Dad. I'm doing a gig in Drygate in Glasgow. So if you're not coming to the festival, come and see me have a mental breakdown. Okay, we're on, literally, that is only the first nine days. Do you want the rest? I'll just do, I'll do highlights and then I'll tell you the rest on the next episode. Seymour Mace, Nish uh, Kumar, Julian Dean, Richard Gadd, Tom Allen, Catherine Ryan... Brett Goldstein, Tommy Tiernan, Comedy in the Dark, uh, Matthew Winning uh, doing his Mugabe show. Going to see Kitson. Uh, he will never do this show. He's made that quite clear. Not that he's been asked. Uh, Imran Yusuf, uh, Nathan Caton, Sean Cullen doing One Night Only. And look, that's taken us to Monday the 17th. And as you can imagine, my, my brain is already melting. Um, but just go and see all of these great things. Take some chances on things that you haven't already seen. Uh, George Egg, uh, the wrestling. God, if there's any tickets left for the wrestling, do that. I can't go because I'll be doing my own show. No, don't go see the wrestling. Come and see me interview Tommy Tiernan. Oh, my God. When, it fi- when you find out that you can't possibly get tickets for the wrestling for love nor money, then come and see me interview the brilliant Tommy Tiernan. I'm going to stop there. I just want to keep throwing names at you, but you'll get bored and fall asleep and crash your car. So let's not do that. That's going to be my first week here at the Edinburgh Festival. And of course, my own show entitled An Hour opens on the free fringe at uh, 4.55pm daily from this Saturday. Uh, and it's at uh, the Cannons Gate on Cannon Gate. Yeah, that's, that is truly how it works. It's Scotland. They can do what they want. Um, I just really love my show. I really love it this year. I'm so excited to be doing it. It's such a great feeling to be up here with a thing that you love going. I, I sat down in Tanya Edwards' show. It's the first show I saw this year. And I was just, I was instantly, before she even came on stage, I was looking around at the audience in the bunker in the Pleasance and I was thinking, I'm jealous. I want to be doing my own show right now. And then I remembered, I'm going to, so it's going to be fine. Um, I've got quite giddy, as you can hear. We'll get back to Charlie in a second. Thank you, everyone that's been donating. Thank you for listening to the the Montreal podcasts. Um, Please do share those around as much as you possibly can and uh, and get everyone to listen to those. That Patton Oswalt one's a zinger and all the rest as well, I think, have, have got really interesting things to say. I love that stuff on the Moshe one about um, contriving intrigue and uh, Andy's podcast and Jen's podcast, both very, very good. So 
What else do I need to tell you? Thanks for your donations. I've mentioned comedianscomedian.com. You can press the shiny donate button and you can uh, make a donation on PayPal or via patreon.com forward slash comcompod. Or if you see me in the street in Edinburgh, there's never been a better time to come up to me, say something cool, press some cash into my hand and then leave. I mean, the leave thing has become part of the game. I never meant it to. And I certainly, I'd I'd love to meet you. So don't feel that you have to walk away. (laughs) It's just sort of become a thing. Come up, press some cash and fuck off. That's not what I want. Come and say hi. That is everything I'm going to say for now. It must be Scott Bennett. Scott Bennett's doing a show about his dad, and his, his dad's called Roy, and the show's called About a Roy. Sounds great. I love his work. I can't see his show because it clashes with mine, but you go and see it and report back. Um, we should probably have some sort of Edinburgh ComCom pod fringe. How about hashtag mental fringe? <laughs> Sounds like Alex Horn's mental safari. Hashtag mental fringe. Or- Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. What hashtag stew meltdown. Chuck those around and let's see how many of you are listening as and when the show goes out live. So... That's it for now. Let's get back to Charlie Baker. Sorry for having a rant. Thank you if you're an animator and you got in touch. There's some really exciting stuff happening there. I've now had loads of submissions. So, uh, I mean, feel free to keep getting in contact. It's all lovely to hear from you all. Check out the new website. Come and see my show. Go and see all of these ones as well. Let's not prioritise mine. I think that's fair. It's got some great jokes about Wagamama and Secateurs and Jack Reacher. You're going to love it. So... That's that. What a great mood I'm in. Hey, did I tell you? I said on the ComCom thing, we're having a baby. Me and my partner are having a baby. We're due at the end of uh, January next year. And I've announced it at just the right time because now everyone I see at Edinburgh is running at me from across the street uh, and going, yeah, congratulations, and hugging me. So do that too. But if you've got money in your hand, that's better. (laughs) Because someone's going to pay for this baby. And I suspect it's going to be predominantly me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's get... I mustn't call you ladies and gentlemen. You're supposed to talk to the listener. I'm talking to you, whether you are a lady or a gentleman. It's you. It's you that has the personal connection with me that I am fostering. Now it's back to Charlie Baker. So before we come on to the writing stuff, I want to talk about your persona on stage. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between the you that we see on stage gigging... Or taking part in that sort of quiz earlier yeah. on in the, in the challenge show we were in. And what's the difference between your stand-up self and your kind of TV tap dancing or mm-hmm. whatever you're doing on TV self and you, the person? Um, so I, I turn my Devonshire accent up, I would say, to eight. Big fan of the Devonshire accent. Yeah, I, I reckon I'd probably turn my Devonshire accent up on stage. I used to turn it up a lot more. There he is. And... Uh, 
<laughs> the cultural <laughs> ambassador for yeah. Devon. Yeah. Uh, and that is because you look for... I think when you're starting out, you look for anything that makes you different to mark you out. Look what isn't being catered for in the market. Um, and I've often felt I could be more honest with a Devonshire accent and, and funnier with a Devonshire accent than I can with just my own sort of middle-class I voice. Always, I always thought it was quite... Um... Not brave exactly, but I always liked the way you did that because there mm. weren't any other sort of... No-one else is really hitting Devonshire. Well, well De- Devonshire... And it seems like it's like not a cool thing, do you know what I mean? One no. of my fears as a comic starting would be like, oh, I want them to like me, I want to try and fit yeah. in with... I want to be like them. And, of course, them is often an amorphous mass with no distinct personality. But the thing, it's, an inter- uh, uh, it's an interesting thing about uh, accent, I think. Probably it's because um, no-one hates Devon. <laughs> other than Cornwall that is a bumper so, sticker <laughs> <laughs> so if you go out and you go I'm from Devon no one goes oh get ah had an amazing holiday there once yeah you right. know you know so it's, it's it's holidays isn't it it's cream teas it's it's yes. alright funny and old I, ladies I, I isn't it people don't so see no it one as, hates it people don't see it as challenging or threatening well, when people say I hate the south you know they don't they mean the south east they don't mean the south west so, okay. so that, that sort of north-south divide doesn't exist if you include the southwest. Um, I'm now learning to. One of the things I'm trying to do is, as I do more and more sort of personal material, is to to turn it down a bit because and use it when I need it to be funny about okay. that sort of thing. So that's and, one thing I'm and trying so to do. So that's one element of it is the yeah. accent. What other sorts of things are you? Um, it's 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 genuinely how I feel on stage comes out it's pretty natural what i do i don't i never have to fake energy or um fake the enthusiasm but that can go the other way as well because um i uh, have uh the worst thing to watch is someone lose their temper and i think until you've learned to manage your panic on stage which is a difficult thing to do because when you're starting out you're panicking and you want everything to go well so unless you can learn to manage that panic then that can come out as anger or or uh, aggression. Um, Have you done that? Which, I can't oh, yeah, imagine no, 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 yeah. No, I've had a few. I've had a few times where I've gone, oh dear, that I sh- that shouldn't have happened. In latitude, I once I, f- I fell out with an I fell out with an audience member. I was out of my completely out of my depth. I was on in the comedy tent and um, fell out with uh, someone in the audience and poured a pint on their head, which was a big mistake. I thought, oh, I make something happen. At latitude, it'll be one of those things where something happens, and of course, it was me out of my depth early on in my career, panicking, live. You know, maybe that's an Edinburgh show, panic, live. Um, but, um, and uh, I look back now and go, well, you just shouldn't have been on that show, you know. Shouldn't have been doing that show. What had they done to annoy you? Oh, probably, probably nothing. Probably just heckled or something, you know. Probably, probably, but it was me so built myself up for that gig that the panic comes out as that. So you just learn, but you learn, I think, as you go on. You learn to manage your... Your, your panic, your inner clock of going... Do you still feel it now? Oh, yeah, well, I think we all do whenever you're trying... Especially when you're trying out new stuff or writing a new show and you turn up and you think, OK, I'm going to try something new and maybe it doesn't go the way you want and it doesn't get a reaction. You learn to... You learn as you go on and get more experienced to just manage it. The best thing I ever saw, I won't say the name of who it was, I watched a very established comedian do a telly gig 
um, which I was warming up. I wasn't on the show. And, but I watched them do a telly gig and they died on their arse for their full 10-minute set. But they kept going like they were smashing it. Absolutely. They, could, they did not get one laugh from the audience in 10 minutes, but they kept going, and in their eyes, it was like they were smashing it. And I thought, that's amazing, because we all know they'll, they'll just edit that in. Um, they'll edit the laughs in. So, but to watch that and watch a pro dying but looking like they're smashing it, I thought, you have to, you have to be able to find that. Much. That must just come with experience. I wondered how you found that. But that must just come with experience. Particularly with you being someone who, like you say, you rely on or you, you're driven by the mm. natural feeling that you have, your natural pleasure in being there. Oh, when I the, die, yeah, they just, they, they just don't like me. I have this terrible yeah. thing. Whenever I try and deal with a heckler, I've got to be so careful because the contract I've made with the audience is I'm a nice, friendly guy. Mm. And I think it's an honest contract. But if I get annoyed and get a bit pissy, I, I try and slam someone and everyone who previously liked me goes, ooh. Yeah, I, do, I do, died just before Christmas in Leeds, properly horribly. I, like, I, I two died minutes just in, before Christmas in Leeds. Like two minutes probably in. Probably in the same place. Proper. Get off, you bastard. Like, proper. Um, and uh, Dave Longley had to uh, escort me off stage. He's a, he's a very nice, funny but very big comedian. And he, what, for um, your safety? For my safety, yeah. How far did I stayed on. I stayed on. Okay. I stayed on and tried to end say, so say this lady here was in the front row and she was laughing. I, would, I stayed on to try and entertain her when I should have just got off, you know. But, but at the same time, I wasn't, I wasn't panicked, I wasn't scared, but I should have got off. So let, we, we've talked to them about some unpleasant experiences. Mm. What would you say is the most... What's your proudest moment on stage, whether it's a prestigious gig or a huge audience or just a particular personal victory? Um, what strikes her? I mean, or, well, you know, my, one, well, one of my, your top my, my, my absolute proudest thing and the thing when I went, I have achieved something I thought I would never achieve and it, it, whatever happens now, it won't go beyond that, was uh, doing a weekend at the Comedy Store in London. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was my ultimate goal. That was what I thought. That's Lords. That's playing football at Wembley. You know, it's, it. it's well known in, it, among it, circuit comics that it's, it has the highest quality control of Getting the weekend, the doing the weekend, and doing well at the weekend was my absolute um, goal of what I'd dreamt of doing since, since, you know, 16 years old. And all the books I'd read. Have you read Har... It's a good book. Have you read Har Bloody Har by William Cook? Yes, I have, yes. Yeah, so that's a, that's Years a good, ago. It's a yeah. really good book to get is Har Bloody Har. Um, and it's all interviews with comics who uh, were playing the store and the big... big um, and I must have read that. There's a big chapter on the store. Um, and it's all people who are still going. Um, like, it's Harry Hill and Vic and Bob and... Uh, Dominic Holland and loads of, loads of big people, isn't it? And I, I think I read that book 20 times. I probably read that book 20 times. And so when I actually got that, when I actually got a gig there, got the Thursday there, and then when I got booked for the weekend and it went well, that, that was a proper... I used to read, there's a, there's a bit in that book of David Bedale saying when he first smashed the store, he walked all the way home and punched yes, the air all the yes. way home. And I thought, oh, I, I can't believe it's that... Good. And then, but when I got that and achieved that, you go, no, that's, I was, I'm so grateful to have been able to do that. Because I think our job is a privilege, you know, to be able to, 
to be able to go out and entertain people is a, is a, you, is a privilege. To make a li- it's the only art form I think it's, you can make a proper living from. Yeah. Yeah, it's not an unreasonable... I mean, it will become less reasonable, I suppose, but it's not an unreasonable expectation if you can do the job of comedy that you will eventually be able to entirely make your living from it Mm. in a way that a singer-songwriter or a painter, far fewer, one would imagine. But then also, recently I'm writing this show for Edinburgh and some of the stuff I've written for this, and I think that's how you have to, to stay relevant, is keep writing, keep going, keep moving forwards, keep writing about what you think, keep telling the truth about yourself... And there's a Joni Mitchell line. Uh, she she tapes her regrets to the microphone stand, and I always go, "Oh, that's comics. <laughs> we all tape our regrets to the microphone stand, but we try and make them funny, you know." And and um, I just think that that so writing this show at the moment. Any time I approach a new show and get anywhere near it being a show, I go, "Oh, okay, we're." So can when still you, do it, still as a, relevant. As a kind of consummate performer who just thrives off mm. it, when you have your long, dark nights of the soul in yeah, comedy, regularly. What, what is it that you're scared of in comedy? What is it that you're... What, what are your fears about it? Because I sometimes think to myself, oh, what I'm doing is effectively pointless. Like, it yeah. makes people laugh, but there's loads of other people mm. doing it, so why, why should I make it? So what I, what I regularly... The conversation I regularly have with my wife is what else can I do for a living? So I've got this fear, because I've always done it since I was five, um, I've got this fear of, um, well, surely, uh, what, what if I don't like it? What if I'm not supposed to be doing it? You know, what if there was something else I've missed out? And so the conversation I always have, let's, let's sell up, let's move to Cornwall, let's move to France, I'll buy an ice cream van or something like that, you know. And then, but she always says, you'd like that for a week. You'll enjoy that for a week because what you do now completes you, and that's if I've had a bad night. So um, if, if I have a bad night and when... I think the same with everybody, not, not, not being the best that you can possibly be. And I think when you have... When you, am I being the best I can be? And a lot of the time, no, you're not because you're not pushing yourself, you're not writing enough, you got too drunk, you're too drunk to write... Or, or <laughs> you're, not, you're not thinking about it, you're concentrating too much on the finances. You know, there's all those things. Trying, trying to, you're trying to keep your household running at the same time. You know, the, um, the thing of no, what is the, no more sombre enemy to art than a pram in the hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that, you know, so... But it's always, it's always, and I maintain this with stand-up, are you being as good as you can be? Have you worked hard enough? Have you done enough work? And I would say nine times out of ten, if something goes wrong, it is the comedian's fault for not working hard enough and not uh, applying themselves correctly. So what's the relationship then between... I think there was, might have been a small amount of applause. No. What's, the, what's the relationship then between hard work and the moments of inspiration that a comic has on stage. We often talk about, mm. you know, you, you go up with your stuff and then you kind of forget mm. your stuff because you get on one and it flows and mm. you just get your teeth into it somehow and it, and it just floods out of you. It, what's the relationship between that and hard work? I sometimes fear that my stuff is overwritten or I have, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of problems with that in the past. I'll spend a lot of time poring over it and writing it. Yeah. And I, I, I sometimes wonder, is that hard work? Am I just working much rather than working Well, that's hard. that thing of getting out of your own way, and that's what I've been trying to do recently, was find the looseness you find with comparing and that sort of joy you can feel like riffing, oh, this is fine, I feel relaxed because I'm comparing, 
trying to find that, but with your material. Because I think we probably find, I, I find that as well, is, oh, God, it's material, then it needs to be... So trying to get out of my own way and enjoy your material um, is, is one thing I try and do there, is these days, is, is, is try and find that looseness. Are there some comics who, like you said, you can always have worked harder, yeah. and if something goes wrong, it's because you didn't work hard yeah. enough? There are some comics, I suppose, who rely... Who, well, there are I some didn't comics work who hard don't enough. I, ha- some I, I, I yeah. know I haven't worked hard enough in my career until about two years ago when I went, you're not working hard enough. That's why you're not making... So I got to a stage... I, got, I, had, I, had, I had quite a lot of opportunity as a stand-up and I've found I've been likeable and enjoyable on bits and pieces, but I've not had the stuff. I've not had the chops um, because I've not written enough and so I've not had enough stuff to go out there and do it. So I'm fine. Because I've kept my 20 for the clubs to pay my mortgage, when I've, when I've had to go and do other bits and pieces that may sort of move me on, I've, I've been found wanting, I think, in my head. In my head. I know that's I've, not feedback that you've got from any no, particular I don't think, situation. I don't think so, but, I, but, 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 but you go... It was probably that. Eventually, when you get, when you get over yourself, so you go, well, have you been working hard enough? No, I probably haven't been working hard enough. So, actually, the thing to do then is sit down and write new stuff. So what Don't open of... with waiting for Jack Black to die, you know, for, for eight years, which I did. Yes. So you go, eight years later, you can't still be doing that Jack Black joke, are you? Yes, I am. And you go, well, it's probably time to, to have a new thought. Because that's what we're trying to do. If you're, as a comic, you can, you're living a creative life. It's pretty, pretty privileged to live a creative life. You've got to sell a lot of paintings to, to do a lot of paintings and sell a lot of paintings to be able to live the life that a comic lives, you know. So why aren't you creating stuff? Why aren't you making new stuff all the time? Because you're sitting around watching the tennis and storage hunters, you know, and you, know. <laughs> and you go, no, right, right. Of course you, there's room for that, but at least right. I went to myself, at least write two days a week, because that's two more days a week than you were for five years, you know. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. What does it look like? What does your writing situation look like? Do you write in... Where do you write? Do you write in an office? Okay, so cafes, it's, it's, really, it's really changed. So I, I'm not, not going to lie and say I've been prolific. Although I've done, you know... Okay, so Edinburgh... I've done lots of different sorts of shows in Edinburgh. So my first show was, like everyone, everything you've ever got chucked in a box, tried to put a call back in at the end and make it, give it a title, you know. Pretend it's uh, about something. But yeah. Um, and then I, I did a play, I wrote a play. So with Edinburgh, I try, I, I try and go, what have I got to do in Edinburgh this year? What have I got that I want to do? When does that thought, when in the year are we, making, well, are we having that thought? November. Okay. So, what, next, so in yeah. November you're thinking for next August, what have I already got? What have I, I got? What, what, what sort of thing have I got that I could polish from now on um, uh, to, to, to get ready for Edinburgh? So I've done a play. I've done two straight stand-up hours. I've done a music show, Baker's Dozen. Um, and I've got another music show this year. But it's always stand-up with music. It's never musical comedy. OK. What's, yeah. the, what's the difference? What, so what... I, write a, I write a stand-up hour, and then songs earn their way in. Um, but I'll have, the songs your... will have a theme as well. So I'll stand up thinking. I'll start thinking. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put music in this show. I don't know what yet. But first of all, I will write a load of jokes about my life, and then I will find a theme that I, I'm interested in musically as well. 
Yes. So with this, just okay. the one, it's one hit wonders um, because I've got one son and, I was inter- and I've uh, been married to my wife for 12 years. She was the one. I met the one at 16, which is quite a scary thing to do. I've lost two and a half stone, so I ate less. So I just ate, you know, there's loads of... So that was the theme for that. And I thought, oh, one hit wonders, that's interesting. That's something I could do in okay. a Charlie Baker style. Okay. Is, so, is... so when you're, you're, you're there, you're in November, you're going, right, what stuff have I got? Mm. Where does the stuff come from? It's like, if you're going to say, right, throw it all out, start from a new hour, wh- what's the starting point? You... Well, I'll just write stuff down throughout the year. I'll just write starts down or someone will say something or I'll just write the start down. And then I'll riff it by myself. Um, All right, go on, talk me through yeah. that. You'll riff so it I'll, I'll, walking around your room. Yeah, I'll riff it, or I'll riff it in the car. What do you mean by riffing? Or it? I'll riff it on stage, and then I'll riff it on stage. That's what, what I'll do. Tell us what riffing means So to I'll you. go, I'll... I'll um, so the auction, I don't know, maybe, maybe, oh, maybe that's, not, well, probably, no, that's probably not a good you, example. A good example would be a bit from your current show. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away. Mm, but you've supermarkets. Got a, supermarkets. So I've got a bit about supermarkets um, in this current show... Um, uh, where I came up with actually with this uh, that I came up with the punchline first. Um, you can and, tell us what it is. We'll and, still come and see uh, you. Um, the so uh, I came up with the punchline first, um, which is uh, about having sex with supermarkets. That's the <laughs> that's you know just a random bit about having sex with supermarkets because. Tesco is fucking farmers. That's basically what I came up with. But it's, it's cleverer than that. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, so I, I came up with the last bit first and then went, oh, that's, that's a bit, that's definitely a bit. And then how would you have sex with each supermarket? That's, that, so that was a, quite an easy, that sort of a bit that went, oh, I can write that in mm-hmm. 10 minutes, you know. And then, and then you've just got to take it out there and see if it works. But most of my writing I would do on stage as a compare or I'll, I'll slit it in, slit, slip it in um, between already established bits. Okay. Um, but I would also, I also work with my wife um, and I will do the bit for, my, for her and she'll go, no, or give me another example that's not about your cock or, you know, that sort of thing. Because um, I do tell a lot of cock jokes for some reason. Why? What? For what reason? I don't know. I, I think is that just a convenient go-to? That's I don't know. Maybe, laugh? maybe that's really lazy. I don't know. But I like a well-crafted cock. There are three in my show that I'm particularly proud of. What's the um, proudest <laughs> cock joke? Um, my wife used to call my penis the Gaza Strip at my fattest because she was never sure which part of this enormous mass it belonged to. Um, <laughs> It's a very well-crafted yeah. cock joke. Well yeah. done. Is, yeah. that, is, that, is that frustrating then to think, oh, I've got a, I've got a great joke there, oh, it's another cock joke? I don't, I've stopped being frustrated. Okay. I write, I, my, 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 um, my note for this show especially, and for, actually for the last show, for Baker's Dozen, which was, I did with other people, I like having, having other people on stage as well. Um, people often go, oh, why have you written such nice parts for other people? Because I like finding talented people and putting them on stage, you know, so as well. Um, I now write the the show I want to be in and I think that's very um, sensible with Edinburgh you're gonna it's only you who's doing it so don't so what I'm saying basically is I'm not writing it for anyone else I'm writing the show that I know I will enjoy performing every night because I think if I'm enjoying it then hopefully the audience will and if they're not they won't buy a ticket so um, so if you I think if you're enjoying your own show that's a pretty good sign 
tell me more about the relationship with the writing relationship with your wife. Yeah. So what are the things that she spots? She 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 obviously has what seen you. Does she come and see you a lot? Well, but she did first off, and then you then we had a child, and so that puts the end to that really. But um, um, she she's just known me because she's known me all. My, she's known me since I was sixteen, and we were friends ten years. Um, come and see my Edinburgh show for that story. Um, but uh, um, so she knows me better than anybody out there. She knows my frustration. She'll the person. She'll be the person when I have the dark night of the soul, who I'm moaning at, um, and <laughs> will eventually go. Well, if you don't like it, don't do it anymore. That's the thing. She'll be the one who draws the line and go. Um, and then I'll go. No, I still want to do it. You know, and you feel like an idiot. But she. I think she just wants me to be the best I can be. And so she will go, you're better than that joke. Okay. That's okay. What, that's so, me- basically what she, her note is, you're better than that joke. So is, is the strength of working with her, is it less to do with her eye for comedy and more to do with her perception of you? Yes, 100% her perception of me. And she's seen me in awful situations and great situations and also she'll know when I'm she's she'll know when I'm being funny in everyday life when I'm not aware of being funny because it's just your that sort of Larry David thing of falling out with people or saying something funny so so to have that closeness of a relationship with somebody who knows your faults and your best bits um it is good because you've got an outside eye on you without it you going, I don't know, what do I do in that situation? She can tell me exactly what I do in okay. most situations. So, so what, for what reasons are you cutting stuff from your current show? Well, can you think of a bit that you've edited out? I, I wouldn't just well, do I edit a lot because make. obviously you do stuff and it doesn't work, you know. I tried to do an impression of a men's magazine in the show. <laughs> Go on. Like, um, like um, do you want to buy a watch? Do you want to buy a watch? Hey, mate, do you want to buy a watch? Have some coffee, have some coffee. Do you want to buy a watch? Because I've obviously hit an age where people are trying to sell me watches and bikes... Um, so I tried to do this sort of slightly sort of poetic bit and as tonight it got nothing about four times in a row and you go it just doesn't work you just have to go it just doesn't work why okay when you're doing that yeah because that's a performance piece because I like performing uh, but I want to perform without it being a song so I think oh I might be able to do some voices here and do a thing and go and go uh, you know I travelled to the rainforest with just a knife for company. That's the sort of things that turns up in men's magazines. But I thought, well, that'd be funny. That'd be really good. It's never worked. It's never, <laughs> never worked. But you did it for, but that's, that's an admirable you know, commitment. I know, to it I know. Times. I thought, no, this is funny. It never worked. The thing that often brings me down is the, or brings me low in comedy is I, I'll, I'll think of a thing, I'll do it once and it'll get half a laugh and I'll go, I knew it. I can make that better. And then it'll die five times and I eventually go, oh, for Christ's sake. You have to admit so. defeat, but then maybe you go back to it. Yes. You, have to, you, you know, you can keep it in a book and maybe go back to it another time. Um, but I don't... I, 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 that's just part of my writing process now, is write a lot. Write everything and try and riff everything. So early previews are always, I'm going to make this work. I feel like I can make stuff work, but then you have to learn when your force of enthusiasm is driving something through and you're sort of begging the audience to laugh at it rather than... This isn't strong material. You haven't got strong enough legs, Stuart, to go back to the Andre Agassi point. Sure. I wanted to ask, what's your... If, 
I was going to ask, what's your kind of ultimate ambition mm. for comedy? But do you think it's possible to have any kind of structure or ambition or timeline? Is it, or is, is it just too random and um, meritocratic or unmeritocratic to, to, to plan it? I think it is. I think, I, think, I think it is meritocratic. I know people don't think it is because they think there is that show business element. But this is the job. Telling jokes and getting paid for it, that is the job. There is nothing else that is the job. So whatever level you're doing at it, it that is the job you signed up for. Um, so I'm, I will always attempt to do it at the highest level I can do it at. If I found myself going quickly backwards, that might make me change my mind but I will always be creative in other areas as well. So I try and come up with game shows and um, uh, scripts and sitcoms and that sort of stuff as well at the same time as writing okay. stand-up because I like that creative element. And do you find that's something we don't often... I always remember when mm. I started doing comedy a few years in, people would suddenly talk about, oh, I've got a sitcom script. Mm. And I'd go, what? How do, you, how do you get one of them? What do you do? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's so, it's so different to writing stand-up. What kind of... What's your experience of writing for well, other I like forms? Well, I that. I think that's only in this country because you watch an American stand-up and, and I think... I don't know if someone said it before, which is uh, American stand-up is basically their sitcom pitch, you know, a, yes. lot, a, lot, a lot of the time. Yes, sure, um, OK. But, it's uh, the persona, yeah. and this guy could be seen so in a 23-part series. you know, what would... You can go, what would the Stu Goldsmith sitcom be like? And so I wrote a sitcom, we got it to pilot, and it was me at home with a son and, and a wife who went out to work and was a lot clever and... Uh, cleverer than me, you know. So, and I was at home all day with a father-in-law that came, turned up a lot to do the house up, which is just my life. So, like being a stand-up, where you take your own persona and blow it up to go on stage for, to take the funniest bits out. A lot of sitcoms are people's life blown up by ten and and put that on. So that's what that's what sitcom is but they should be called character comedies they shouldn't be called sit- situation it always that's one thing when people go oh i'm not going to tell you oh, i've written a sitcom set in a tent don't nick it and you go well <laughs> who are the people in the tent yeah that's what a sitcom is the okay. people in the tent the, not the tent you know so shouldn't be called sitcom anyway but yeah so i always I, I that's how i try and stay creative but um Obviously, I'd love, to, I'd love to tour as a comic. That's basically what I'd love to do, is tour as a comic. Who, wouldn't, who doesn't and want do that? You, do you feel that, I, I suppose, the next step to becoming a touring comic mm. is to cultivate an audience? Yes. Do you feel you're doing that? Have you got an ongoing relationship? I, I think with I am now, now I've learned that I wasn't working hard enough. Okay. Because um, people come and see you now and they see something new, and you, and you find a, a voice, you know, that isn't it and I think it takes it's taken me what 11 years 11 years is that about right 11 years to I suppose it get rid of all the other stuff and oh now I write about myself now you know right okay because you've basically physically you've run out of other stuff you can talk about so all you've got now is you so actually that's all you can talk about is is what's happening in your life because you're you're starting from fresh Okay, okay. I've got two, I've got two more quick yeah. questions. And the two questions I'd like to finish with are, one, it's sort of a challenge, really, to review yourself. Review myself? Yeah, if you were to review your, your comedy, if you mm. were to review your act, what sorts of things would you say if you're the reviewer and you know yourself like, like you know yourself? Um, 
obvious performance skills. Not necessarily good ones. <laughs> Not necessarily good. Nice. <laughs> um, confidence. Not always matched by material. Could be better. But enjoyable. <laughs> oh, I speak for the, I don't know if the mics will pick that up. There was a certain amount of... Oh, that's nice. That's nice. And that's Would you agree with that? that? No, well... No, I think your material's stronger than you give it credit for. The newer stuff is. Yeah, but and the old stuff was. It's just you did do it for a long time. I think that's a very... Mm. That's, thanks for being very candid about that. I think you did... You, it's true. I, I've got a mortgage to pay. Yeah. I've got, some, I've got to pay the mortgage. some people do that. When you've got a killer 20 that'll smash anywhere. And you're... I mean, I always remember watching, like, your first five minutes, I thought, when you do TV warm-ups, it must be an absolute piece of piss. Because you can definitely walk out in front of any size crowd and do five minutes that seems improvised, it's conversational, and it's just full of absolutely diamond gags. And I was like, oh, you cheating yeah. bastard. Look I at you, him, look at him cheating by writing good jokes <laughs> and performing them well. In the comic, you go from available to reliable... To, I'm trying to think of a third one because I'm just writing that in my head. Yeah. <laughs> available. Let's, let's write it now. Let's, uh, available, reliable. To reliable to. Funny. Av- available. Available. Back to available. Available, reliable, and then available. I don't think, I don't think we've created a new phrase. Answers um, uh, on an email to info yeah. at comedianscomedian.com. Yeah. So, last question What would you have on your comedy gravestone? Um, comedy gravestone. It's a thing I made up. You can oh, right. interpret it how about, you like. And how long have I died? I've died, have I? Properly. It's a sort of final message to comedy. Yeah. Um, uh, guess I died before Jack Black. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a reference to my opening line. No, um, he gave it a good go. <laughs> and you'd no, put, you'd that's put awful, isn't it? Turning. I don't know. I've never. A I don't really de- think about dying. Devon Chafont. Yeah, we all know. We all know. <laughs> he gave a good go. Yeah. No. Um. Uh, I. I don't. I, I, oh dear. That's a terrible. I should have prepared that. That's it. I'm frequently told that I yeah. should let people know I'm going to do yeah. this. Yeah. Um. Just a message then to a message to comedians. He loved his wife. Because <laughs> all, my, all my stuff is about. <laughs> oh God! Really? This still? Yeah. So he, he loved, loved his. Wife. He loved his wife. It's very you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Please join me in thanking Mr. Charlie Baker. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Charlie. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Nathan Wood for uh, co-producing this show. Uh, thank you to Dan Melrose for the music. We haven't thanked Melrose in a while. I saw him last weekend and saw Mission Impossible 5 with him, and bloody good it was too. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to rate this show on iTunes. Give it five stars, even if you hate it. Give it five stars anyway as a sort of trick. Um, uh, that really helps. It really helps. And I think what I've noticed when I've been um, when I've been checking out other people's podcasts, you sort of get a sense of the the listenership and the commitment of the listenership. Anyone, everyone says to their listeners, hey, guys, give me five stars. So you sort of get a sense from how many people have bothered doing that of the standing of the podcast. And I'd like to inflate that standing uh, in my case. So please get online, get on iTunes, give us a five star review. You can write something nice there as well if you like. 
Um, tweet me at ComComPod. Email me info at comedianscomedian.com. Feel free to donate if you like. A pound a show, a one-off donation of £10, £20, whatever you think is appropriate. If you're a big, rich, high roller, why not just go mental and stick an enormous amount of money in my bank account? Uh, you could do that with the PayPal donate button at comedianscomedian.com. That's everything for now. It must be. I'm going to sit. I'm not going to meditate. I'm just going to sit and breathe for five minutes. I've promised myself that much. No, do you know what? I'm not because I've completely forgotten to invite any press to my solo show because I've been so busy booking and organising the live podcast shows and doing Montreal Comedy Festival and doing all these things. I think I had a meeting with my management maybe two months ago where I said, look, there's no point paying a PR to do my solo show, my solo comedy show, because... Uh, I, I sort of know all the journalists I'm going to know. I'll just invite them. I then didn't do that. I have spectacularly dropped the ball and uh, I'm going to have to start making amends now. So no time to breathe. Back to it. Justin Morehouse next week or possibly even this weekend if I can possibly manage it. Go and see both those shows and I'll speak to you next week unless I'm dead. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>